0: So, I have, are you ready? I have a a huge announcement to make. After today, I have two more installments in our Philippians series. We'll be wrapping up the book of Philippians. So, I think I've preached 26 messages out of the book of Philippians this year. And so, if you want to study the book of Philippians in detail, those are all uh, archived, either on Facebook or YouTube. You can go back and go through those messages and study through the book of Philippians. So we're gonna begin reading today in Philippians chapter four. We made it, we made it to the final. Now it's time for Philippians. This is my favorite message, I think, in this whole whole series of messages. So Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, and we're gonna talk about peace in our hearts today. Philippians chapter four. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to talk about peace in our hearts. Now, before I get into the meat of this message, I want to go back and and kind of replay some of this background. He addresses here in Philippians chapter four, verse two, two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, and this whole letter was written to address an issue that probably centers around these two ladies. There was some, and, and we, as we've said before, we don't know what the division was. But it, it's apparent that Yodia and Syntyche were in the middle of this. I don't know if they were fighting against each other or if they had allied themselves and tried to move uh, something in the church that was going in, in a different or divisive direction. We don't know that, if they were working together or if they were working against, fighting against each other. We just know that somehow these two young ladies are involved in a division in the church. There's a schism, there's conflict, and it centers around these two, two ladies. Throughout this entire book, Paul is urging unity. He's urging them to be of the same mind, to be of the same spirit. He gives himself as as an example. He gives uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. He gives Jesus ultimately as the ultimate example of the way that we overcome division, and that's through serving. We looked at that, we've studied that. The way that we overcome division is by serving one another. So that's a little bit of the background, and we, we talked about this a little bit as well why does division come why does division come into a family into a church into a work environment what causes divisions we talked about how that that has to do with motive there's a motivation in our heart there there and, and need also need we we have needs and we're trying to get our needs met those needs are motivating us so we're trying to advance an agenda and sometimes that runs contrary to what's going on in the family or in the church? What God's trying to do in His church? What what what's going on in a work environment? The, 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 maybe the the owner of a company or a boss is trying to move a team in a certain direction, but there's somebody that has their own agenda because they're trying to get a need met, and that's causing division in the workplace. It happens in churches, families, work environments. It happens in politics, right? Division. Why? Because of motives. We, we have needs. We're trying to get it met, and we're trying to advance those needs above all else, and that causes schism. That causes division. It causes contention, con- conflict, and friction within any body. So this has to do, this division, all division, has to do with motives of heart, right, and our needs. We have a need. I, I need money, I need attention. I need love. I need affirmation. And so I'm trying to advance an agenda that's going to get that need met, and it's at the expense of the rest of the body, the rest of the family, the rest of the business. Does that that make sense? So we're going to see how this this passage right here really fits into this and helps us to resolve a lot of internal conflict. If we have peace in our hearts, there will be peace in the camp. If we have peace in our hearts, there will be peace in our family. If you've got peace in your heart, you will have peace in your marriage. If we have peace in our hearts, there will be peace in the church. But when we have conflict, when there's turmoil, when there's anxiety working underneath the surface, that bubbles up and it causes conflict in anybody in any organization. Okay? And so Paul is addressing that. I want to tackle a, a few of the topics, a few of the ideas that are here in, in this passage of Scripture. Let's talk about, about anxiety. Anybody have anxiety? We all do. We all have things that make us anxious. We all have issues that concern us. We all have problems, right? Anxiety. Depression. We deal with depression, a lot of us. Mental illness torment. And, and you know, we, let me back up. Mental illness, mental illness and depression, we need to talk about it. We, we shouldn't sweep that under the rug. If you're dealing with that, I want you to know this. This church is a safe place for you to deal with that. We're here for you. We want you to come and talk about it so we can help you to deal with that and find joy. We want to help you out. How many of you have ever been in a dark place? You've been down in a pit. We need help. We need brothers. I've been there. What's gotten me through that is my church, my family, and my brothers in the Lord that have helped to lift me in those situations. And we need to be able to be vulnerable and talk about it. I talked about it when I got to that place. I talked about it with my wife. I talked about it in the church. I talked about it with my, the brothers that cover me. I talked about it because I didn't want to stay there, I didn't, and I didn't want to go deeper into that. So I talked about it and got it into the light. Bring the darkness into the light, amen? We, we need to talk about it. So, th- th- but these are real things, and we all deal with it, mental illness, torment, panic, fear, unrest, nervousness, insecurity, feeling overwhelmed by life and circumstances, Doubt, heaviness. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have dealt with any of these things? All of us in this room have dealt with these types of things at one point or another. Some of you are, are wading through these things right now. You're trying to figure out how you're going to make it through the week, how you're going to make it through this year, right? And anxiety overcomes us. The the word here, when he says to be anxious for nothing, in verse 6, it's a Greek word, merimneo. Merimneo, and it means... To, trouble with, to be troubled with care. It means to care for or to look out for something. Now, listen to this one. It's to seek or to promote one's interests. Did you see that? To seek or to promote one's interests. That's actually one of the themes of the book. Don't, don't, Paul says, don't be concerned with your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Right? Paul is driving this theme home throughout this book. Serve one another, look out for each other, care for others more than you care for yourself. But this word anxious, it literally means to be careful, to be mindful, in fact, to be plotting, to be working and strategizing, to figure out how to get your needs met. That's what the word anxious, I mean, how many of you have ever done that? How many of you have laid awake in bed being anxious, right? Plotting how you're gonna pay the bills, plotting how you're going to take care of that situation at work, plotting how you're going to resolve that conflict in the relationship. It's kept you up at night, and you're working through in your own mind how you're going to work it out. That's exactly what Paul is telling us not to do, but we all do it. He's saying, don't be anxious for anything. Don't plot. Don't scheme. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to work it out. You don't have to be careful or troubled about this. You don't have to seek to promote your own interests. Right? That's why Paul will say later in this fourth chapter, my God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Don't worry about it. God is going to provide for you. God is going to take care of it. It's a theme of this book. In First Peter, Peter talks about it. In First Peter chapter 5, he talks a little bit. There's some, some things I think we can see in here and learn about anxiety. He starts in, in, let's begin to read in verse 6, 1 Peter 5, 6. I'm trying to be slower in announcing scriptures because I, I get, that's one of my number one complaint. People say I go too fast. 1 Peter 5, 6. I just go fast because I don't want to keep you here past lunch. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 6, casting all your care, that word care there is Marinea. It's almost the same as the one in Philippians, maraneo. Same, same root word, maraneo, and this is Marinea. He says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Same root right there. Cast all your anxieties on Jesus because Jesus is anxious for you. think about that. Stop fretting because Jesus is fretful over you. Think about it. Jesus is fretful over us. That's what he's saying right there. Cast all your care upon him. And and that word cast in in, in the Greek, there's a beautiful picture It's this idea that you've been carrying a heavy load. You've been carrying this thing. You've been on a journey carrying this heavy load, and you don't know if you're going to be able to make it, carry it any further. And a beast of burden is brought to you, and you cast that load onto that beast of burden. That's the word there, to put it upon a beast of burden, to cast it upon a a beast of burden, someone else to carry that load. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. I like what the the CEV says. It says, God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to Him. New Living Translation says it this way Give all your worries and cares to God because He cares about you. We don't have to be anxious because God is concerned about our lives. Isn't that what He says in in, in the Sermon on the Mount? Right? Consider the birds. They don't worry about anything, and I take care of them. Don't you think that I care much more for you? God cares. We sang that song, Abba. That really is what moved me to get up here a few minutes ago and get up here and just say thank you to the Lord and to rejoice in his goodness. Because we've got Abba, Father, a good Father in heaven who loves us and is looking out for us. We are his children, and he is not going to neglect us. He's concerned about everything in our lives. He cares for us, amen? He cares for us, so don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. Don't lose sleep over it. You've got bills. we, we, We used to work in a bilingual church in San Antonio, Texas, Pastor Rick Gonzalez. His wife's name was Birdie, and I love this. He used to say, Birdie, don't worry. He said, the birds have bills, and they sing every day. You get it? Right? I love that. We can sing. You got bills? Keep singing. Keep singing. We've all got problems. Keep singing. But we don't have to worry. He says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Then he says, be sober. Be sober. Be sober. You know why he says that? Because anxiety has an inebriating effect on us. Have you ever done something stupid because you were anxious, upset, worried about something? You were drunk from anxiety. It it will make anxiety and worry, and the fear that comes from that will make us do stupid stuff. So he says, be sober. And then he says, be vigilant, be vigilant. This is saying, hey, this is not an excuse for you to shirk your personal responsibility. When God says, don't worry about it, he's not telling you to quit your job and wait on him to provide everything for you. No, be vigilant. Be vigilant. we we got we to stay on guard. we got to stay involved in this thing. We're not totally, we're, we're still, we have responsibility in this, right? The Lord's working with us. Be, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that, that word devour doesn't mean just to, to nibble on you. It doesn't mean just to chew you. It means to gulp you down and to slurp you up. How many of you realize you have an enemy that wants to gulp you down and slurp you up? I mean, he wants to lick every last bit of you up off the ground. That's his desire. So be be vigilant. Be vigilant, right? But resist him, he says in verse 9, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We're we're suffering, we're enduring things, hardships, persecution, things come to us. But through all this, God's desire is to to settle us, to strengthen us, and establish us, right? God, God wants to make you stable, Do you know why God gives you trials? To make you stable. How many of you have ever watched, seriously watched athletes, serious athletes in training? Think of all the tests. Think of all the different balance exercises, the the weight, the coordination drills that they do, the the agility drills, endurance, all the things that they work on. Why? So that they would be established. See, all the things that we go through, all the things that we endure, they are to make us stronger so that we will not buckle, so that we will not cave, so that we will not be weaklings, but that we have been through the tests and we have come out through the other side strong. You go through the fire to come out on the other side pure. So we go through things, we experience things. Don't be anxious about those things. Because you're all the brothers, he says in in that passage in Peter, have experienced it. And God is allowing these things to come so that he can strengthen and establish you. Just resist the devil. Just resist. And in time, God's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you. Amen? Let's go back to our text, verse 7 in, in Philippians chapter 4. He says, don't worry about anything, but by prayer... And supplication, making your request known to God with thanksgiving. He says, if you'll do that, and we're going to get to that part in just a minute. He says, if you'll do that, the, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. How many of you have ever experienced that peace? I mean, you had peace when it did not make any sense for you to have peace. That's what it's talking about right there. The peace of God. I mean, all hell is breaking loose around you and you've got peace. The battle's raging, the shots are firing all around you, and you've got peace. That's the peace of God that surpasses all. It doesn't make any sense. Your friends and family are looking at you like you're nuts. You should collapse under that kind of pressure, but you're standing there in the strength of God, in the peace of God. That's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Amen? He says this peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace. Irony. This word peace is tranquility. It's exemption from the rage and havoc of war.
1: This peace is
0: peace between individuals, harmony and accord. It's security, safety, prosperity, felicity. This peace is Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace and salvation. This peace is the tranquil state of the soul assured of its salvation through Christ, so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. That sounds like what Paul said previously. I've learned whatever state that I'm in, therewith to be content. That's peace. I believe in prosperity. You want my definition of prosperity? There it is right there. I've learned to abound. And I've learned to be abased. I've learned that whatever state that I'm in, I can be content. That is prosperity. Prosperity is not big cars, big houses, big bank accounts. Prosperity is the peace of God in our soul. God wants us to prosper. Do you believe that? God wants us to prosper. God wants us to prosper. It's quiet. I know prosperity has gotten a bad rap. I am not here to be a prosperity preacher this morning. I'm not here to, to, to tell you big bank accounts and all that. I'm telling you, God wants his people to prosper. Amen? He wants us to flourish. He wants us to be fruitful. Amen? In every area of our life. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man. Everything that he puts his hand to will prosper. Right? He'll have fruit in every season, and his leaf will not wither. Is that the word of God? Is it true for us? I believe it is. God wants us to prosper, to have great success. God doesn't want us to be a bunch of failures and unfruitful. He wants us to have fruit in everything that we do. I believe that. He he wants us to live well and to be healthy. I believe that. I believe what 3 John uh, verse 2 says. Beloved, I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I believe that. Not to this wild extreme that the prosperity preachers have have preached. But God wants our souls to prosper. He wants us to prosper in life. He wants us to have success. He wants us, I believe God wants us to be fruitful in, 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 in extending his kingdom, in soul winning, in discipleship, in our families, in our business, everything, in our relationships. God wants us to prosper. I believe that with everything in me. A healthy mind, a healthy body, God wants us to live confidently confidently, and with joy. He wants us to be able to speak our words, too, I think. (laughs) He wants us to prosper in our relationships, in our finances, in our careers. God wants us to be fruitful and successful. I believe that. Right? How does that happen? It starts in our salvation. It starts in our life with him. That's where it all begins. I heard a message a couple of weeks ago, and, and this, this truth just came alive to me. He, he talked about how when, when the angel of the Lord showed up and spoke to those shepherds at the conception of Jesus, the declaration that he, he made, it's in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill, and that, that's a key word there, toward Men, This is the peace of God and the goodwill toward men. See, we have to realize there was animosity, there was conflict, there was a war raging between God and man. We were his adversaries. We were opposed. We were in opposition. We were in conflict with God, right? And God comes himself and sends the angel, his messenger before him, and says, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This is the peace and the goodwill of man, uh, of God towards mankind. You think about that. How how do we experience the peace of God? It starts in salvation. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Brothers and sisters, we have to realize if you were saved and you were born again, if you have a position in Christ, if you are found in him, you have peace with God. God's not angry with you. God's not waiting for you to screw up so he can strike you down. There's peace towards you. That's a part of the salvation that God has offered to us. We experience the peace of God. And that's where all peace starts. That's where it begins. It has its genesis. That's where it begins. It starts with knowing that I am found in him, that I am his and he is mine. And that brings peace. That brings us all the peace that we need in this life. When we we find ourselves in conflict, when we find ourselves in trials and difficult situations, when we're in a position to make decisions in business or whatever it might be that we've never had to make before and we feel that mounting weight, whatever it is that we're facing, we can know the peace of God because we are His. Just that simple. This is not something you have to work for. This is not something we have to jump through hoops for. It's ours to access. It's ours to lay hold of. There's a promise, if we do these things, and I'm going to show you what those things are, if we'll do these things, we will access that peace. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you how to experience the peace. But before I do that, here, check this out. It says that this peace, if we will not worry, if we'll pray and take our requests to God, we'll experience this peace, and the peace of God, it says, will guard our hearts and our minds. I mean, are, are we tired of the, the enemy raging in our hearts, bringing all that anxiety, bringing all that fear, bringing all the doubts, all the torments, all the pain, all the anguish? If we reject that and go to God, the peace of God comes. And it says it will guard your heart. This word is a, a military term. It's forneo. It's it's to guard, to protect by a military guard, to prevent hostile invasion, to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight, to be a watcher in advance, that is, to mount a guard as a sentinel. The peace of God. The enemy brings a problem, and nope, the peace of God. No worry, no anxiety, no fear. The peace of God guarding our hearts. This is a little bit off subject, but I I put it in my notes because I think it's really fitting here, especially with the the whole series that we, uh, this message in Philippians that we've been through. I think there there are two, and, and these aren't the only two, you know, indicators of people who have peace or lifestyles of people that have peace, but I think there are two people that we can identify clearly that have peace. Here they are, those who are quick to forgive and those who are hard to offend. Think about it. Those who are quick to forgive and those who are hard to offend. Think about that. When we live with offense, there is absolutely no peace in our life. When we're holding grudges, there's no peace. Think about it. How many of you have laid it up? Uh, you woke up out of your sleep 3 a.m. 3 in the morning and their face popped into your mind? And you thought of all the ways you could get back at them. You know what that is? That's called anxiety. When we release those people, freedom comes. When we reject that anxiety, working it out, right? Trying to advance an agenda, of of revenge, when we release that, peace comes. And even greater than that, when you can refuse in the first place to ever get offended, there's a heart that's governed, ruled, guarded by peace. I think that really fits into the series of messages that we've been talking about, about conflict, how conflict comes into the church. When conflict comes, there's always offense. Let the peace of God guard your heart. Take a step back. How many of you can feel the anxiety coming on? Take a step back and resist it. How how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Coming to a conclusion. This is uh, not not the landing, but we're going to lose some altitude here. We're getting ready to come to a land. We're getting close. This is important stuff. How how do we experience the peace of God in our lives? I think there's some keys in this passage that we read here in Philippians chapter 4. One of them is found, I believe, in, in verse 4. It says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I, I, this isn't rejoicing about the fact that you got a new job. This isn't rejoicing about the fact that you got a lot, a lot of money in the bank account. This isn't rejoicing because everything's going your way. You, you can rejoice in Jesus when everything's falling apart. Amen? Joy in Jesus. Say that with me. Joy in Jesus. Jesus. We need to learn how to joy in Jesus. We need to learn how to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Hey, he's putting double emphasis on this. He's putting double emphasis on this. How many of you have ever, let's be honest, think about this, You're in a heated battle. Think about your spouse. You're in a heated battle with your spouse. How many of you want to rejoice in that moment? We don't. We don't. When we're in conflict, we don't want to rejoice. And here's the truth. It's impossible to stay in conflict when you choose to rejoice. Rejoicing and conflict don't belong together. Rejoicing and, and anxiety can't stay in the same room. If you'll joy, the fear will dissipate. If you'll find something to celebrate in Jesus and rejoice, all of that anxiety, all of that worry, all of that fear will be dispelled. Joy in Jesus. That's number one. How many of you know that we we talked about it? When, When we laugh, endorphins rise in our body. Our body activates endorphins. They're released and activated, and we feel better when we laugh. Even, the science proves this, even fake laughter works. Thank you very much for that. (laughs) Even when you fake laugh at Pastor Chad's bad jokes, it still produces endorphins. Isn't that awesome? Fake laughter works. Sometimes you got to fake it. Sometimes you want to cry, just laugh. Just rejoice. Rejoice. And I'm going to tell you, something kicks in. The Bible talks about it. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Proverbs 15, 15 says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart life is a continual feast. Isn't that good? Proverbs 17, 22 says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bone. The bones. That's good stuff, isn't it? Not only does laughing increase your endorphins, science shows this, that laughter increases blood flow by 20%. Is it any wonder? I mean, have you? When's the laugh time you you laughed so hard you cried, and you couldn't couldn't quit laughing? Anybody? You have those. You're up too late, having a conversation with your best friend. Y'all y'all bring up, start bringing up the past, and y'all start laughing until it hurts. But doesn't it feel good? Hurts so good, doesn't it? It changes our existence, our countenance to our bones. Laughter, joy, rejoicing changes. Anxiety can't stay in the room with joy. So rejoice. Joy in Jesus every day. Amen. Wake up. My wife is happy when I make her laugh. Not because I'm intelligent, not because I got lots of money in the bank, not because of my six pack abs. When I make my my wife laugh, I'm her favorite person on the planet. Those of you that are single, learn how to make a woman laugh. You'll get married. (laughs) I'm here all day, folks. So rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's, that's verse 4. Here's the second one, and we're going to land. It's not going to be a crash landing. We're going to land on our wheels. Verse 6. Verse 6. Don't be anxious. Verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let, re- let your, reco- your requests be made known to God. You want to know how to live a... Worry-free life, pray. Point 2A, pray. There's a point 2B coming in just a second. Pray. Don't worry, pray. Right? We've all heard that story, or that that, that adage, right? Worry is like sitting on the front porch, Cracker Barrel. You'll get it, right? Rocking chairs, Worry is like a rocking chair. Go or, or a treadmill. A whole lot of motion, but you go nowhere. Right? In fact, worry kind of has the same effect as a treadmill and just makes me sick. <laughs> worry gets us nowhere. Prayer moves things. Amen. Prayer is casting the burden on Jesus. It's rolling off the heavy weight that we've been carrying and putting it on Jesus. Pray. He says, don't be anxious, don't worry, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, the word supplication literally means to make your requests known unto God. Make your requests known to God. See, that's the whole deal with this thing, this, this letter, the book of Philippians. People trying to get their needs met. Division coming in, and Paul says, hold on, stop it, stop worrying, stop trying to work, stop trying to plot this thing out, stop trying to advance your own, put other people's needs first, be a servant, and then my God will supply every need that you have according to his riches and glory. That's the theme of the book. But this idea of prayer and supplication, supplication, making your requests known to God. Listen, prayer Does absolutely nothing to inform God. Prayer, let me say it again, does absolutely nothing to inform God. You know what it is? It's an exercise in faith. You know what prayer is about? It's us humbling ourselves and coming before God and saying, God, I have absolutely, this thing is so broke and I've messed it up and I am so worried about it right now, but right now I'm casting it on you. Here's what I need. I need relief. I need, I I can't work this. I've been laying up all night, Lord. I'm done worrying. I'm going to turn to prayer. Lord, I'm giving this to you now. It's it's, it's a position of surrender. It's a position of yielding. It's a position of humility. And it's the way that we access the peace of God. Point 2B. With thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. It's amazing when you start counting your blessings, how your anxieties and worries and fears and sorrows disappear. I'm gonna ask my wife to come. I heard a, a, a story a missionary, a Russian missionary, who's, who's done an incredible work in Moscow, built multi million dollar buildings. But he, talked, he told a story going back to the 90s when he, uh, and, and, I mean, he's got a, a church there, a Bible training center, all this kind of stuff there in Moscow today. But he went back to the 90s talking about it. He, he, went to the, he had a building plan. He took it to the Russian government. They said, we'll let you build this. You've got three years. And if it's not completed in three years, we confiscate it from you. It becomes ours. And this was like a $9 million project, I think. And he's depending on missionary support to build this building. And he talked about laying up at night, seeing his wife lying there asleep. He would, he would nudge her, hoping she would wake up and worry with him. <laughs> and he worried, and he worried, and he worried. And he got a phone call one day. And somebody said, hey, we got your letter, we see your vision, we want to give $100,000. Awesome. Wonderful. And then the next week, he gets another call from somebody that's, that's they, they're, they're these two people that call him from the same ministry. And they say, hey, we want to give you $100,000. He's like, awesome. He needed $200,000. In fact, he told the story how when the first $100,000 came, he told his wife and she rejoiced. And he said, yeah, but we need another. He was so worried. He said, we need another $100,000. And as soon as he said that, the phone rang and it was the second individual. And they said, We're going to give you $100,000. But then he said, After those two phone calls, he said that. Next night, I laid in bed and I started worrying. Maybe they're talking about the same (laughs) $100,000. Worry will make you drunk. Have you been there? We all have. I'm not much of a warrior. Faith, I think, is one of my strong gifts. I could see an impossible thing and say, "Hey, guys, we're going to go do that," and see it come to pass. I, I, I have faith. I'm not much of a prophet. Done it a couple times, and it worked. But I'm not much of a prophet. I'm not much of this, that, and the other. But I, I have a lot of faith. You know, the announcement that I made a few minutes ago—I got a lot of faith for that. God's, God is—we're we're not going to have any problems. That's the peace that I have. God's going to take it. That's just the way I roll. I don't worry a lot. I have a lot of peace. But I remember a night we were newlyweds. We had to resign a job. We went to the U.K. We were there for a month. And I remember coming back to the United States. I had no job and didn't know where we were going to live. And I remember tossing and turning, and I was I wringing. Was the sheets on my side of the bed were covered in sweat. And I tore, turned back and forth like a door on its hinges, the Bible says. Worry, fear, anxiety. How, how in the world I'm a newlywed? I don't, have a, I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know where we're going to live. What in the world? My wife, I woke her up. She turned over. She said, What's going on? I told her. She laid her hands on my shoulder. She said, We're going to give this to the Lord right now. She prayed. She went back to sleep. I went to sleep. Am I going to tell you that I never worry about anything ever? I can't say that. We all do. But I'm going to tell you that that was the end for me of worry and anxiety dominating my heart. I have peace. I have confidence in my God. I remember one moment of panic. We were at a marriage conference in San Antonio, Texas, at a hotel in the downtown area. We were right off the Riverwalk. After the, the evening sessions, we went to a Mexican restaurant on the Riverwalk, and we're sitting there. My wife's sitting across the table when she's smiling. In fact, she's glowing. We're still newlyweds at this point, two, two and a half years in. And we're, I'm sitting there, I think I ate my enchilada, She's smiling, and I said, what What are you smiling about? And she says, I'm pregnant. And I was kind of excited, but I have to admit, the first punch was panic. You're, what? We had no medical insurance. How, how do you feed a baby? How do you buy diapers? How do you, like, we're, we're just struggling, the two of us. This is, an, this is another third human being, and I'm going to be responsible for him. It was just a moment, but then fast forward, I think it was 16 months later. Oh no, it was longer than that. 16 months after Noah was born, she comes to me again and says, I'm pregnant. The gulp, the panic. But then the third time, by that time, I'm an old pro. And the fourth time it was like, God's got this. You know why? Because I'd seen God's faithfulness. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but God did it. Look back at God's faithfulness in your life. Let's stand together. Has God ever forsaken you? Jesus talks about worry. He deals with worry in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. How many of you have ever, let's be honest, how many of you have ever worried about what you're going to eat? So Look at, look at all the hands. I'm going I'm to tell you, not one of you, I can tell, have ever missed a, a meal in a day in your life. We're all well-fed, and we've all worried about it. He says, don't worry about your clothing. How many of y'all stood up last night fretting about what you're going to wear this morning? Come on, ladies. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. This <laughs> Scotty looked in the mirror all morning. Which bow tie should I wear? <laughs> don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your house. I got you. Don't worry about it. I want to make an appeal. If you are carrying worry, if you're carrying anxiety, I want you to come down to this altar and lay it down. Come on and lay it down. If that's you, come on. Come on.